trust in your words because everything else will pass away, but you tell us your word will never pass away. And so uh, may your presence be in this place, giving us the faith that we require to hold on to you and to hold on to those words. My prayer this morning is that hearts would be open, hearts would be soft, hearts would be receptive. As we look at your word, as we look to these truths, you tell us and you prepare us for, um, God, we need you. And so from the top of our heads, just to the bottom of our feet, I'm just going to pray that you'd fill this place, fill our bodies, fill our hearts, our minds, and souls with more of you. We're going to ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, good morning, Edinburgh. Hey, good to be here with you. Uh, if you are a guest with us, I, I do want to give you a warm welcome this morning. We're, we're really glad you're here. And if you're watching online, glad you're tuned in as well, that you're here with us. Also, um, we've been in this series uh, called What in the Word? It's based on that expression, what in the world? You know, there's all kinds of things that happen in life that make us say, what in the world? That cause us to scratch our heads. But this series is called What in the Word? Because there's also things in God's Word, the Bible, that cause us to scratch our heads that sometimes raise more questions than they do answers. We've already talked about worship and what is worship and why do we worship. We talked last week about the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, if you missed those messages, go online and catch up. Next week, I'm going to talk about what happens after we die. This is a question we all wonder from time to time. What happens to us the moment after we die? Do we float up to some cloud and start playing a harp? Or do we just remain in the ground with no consciousness and no memories? We're going to talk about that next week. But this morning, I'm going to talk about Christ's return, or what's also known as the second coming of Christ. It's biblically called the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus returns. You know, many of us have heard predictions about the end of the world over the years. How many of you remember Y2K? Remember Y2K? We were told that computers weren't going to cross over into the new century, and we were told that, the, you know, computers were going to fail us, and therefore, you know, bank, banking systems were going to uh, be out of whack and couldn't be trusted. We were told airplanes were going to fall from the sky. Many people predicted that the end of the world was going to come at Y2K. But January 1st rolled around, and for the most part, life went on as normal. Many people have made predictions over the years, not just on Y2K. Uh, a guy by the name of Harold Camping, he predicted in 2011, on May 21st, uh, that God would return and that the end would come. Many people took him seriously. They sold their homes uh, and got ready for that day. But then that day came and went, and nothing happened. Uh, so then he said, okay, I was wrong. He uh, did some reconfigurations, and he said, no, uh, Jesus is actually going to come back in uh, September. But then he learned his book couldn't be published until late September. So he said, maybe Jesus isn't coming back till October. I made that part up, but... Um, he did, he did recalculate and say Jesus would come back on October 21st of 2011, and that day came, and that day went, and life went on as usual. Uh, the guy I probably like the best, though, uh, his name is Ronald Wineland. Ronald Wineland made specific predictions in 2011, 
2012, 2013, and 2018. He was wrong every time. Now he's saying that the end will come on June 9th, 2019. But I love this. This was from Wikipedia. It says, he has since expressed some doubts regarding his own predictions. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. You know, there's been many predictions about uh, the end of the world. uh, And for some of us, maybe that makes us a little anxious. But I don't think that's what it does for most of us. I don't think it makes us anxious. I think it makes us ambivalent. We've heard these stories. We've heard these rumors. We've heard people saying that the end is coming. And in those days, those days come and they go, and nothing really eventful happens. And so we just begin to wonder, should we take any of this seriously at all? Well, I want you to know Jesus himself told us that this would happen, that there would be people who would make false claims and false predictions. In fact, in Matthew 24, uh, uh, we read this. Jesus is dealing with the end times. We read that while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, see to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And by the way, every generation has had someone who claimed that they were the Messiah, the Christ. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you are not alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still yet to come. So Jesus is warning us here, do not be deceived by these false predictions. Do not be deceived by these false prophets. Uh, He goes on in verse 11 to say, Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And that's happened over the years. But Jesus is saying, you do not be deceived. But he also says and implies, the end will come. The end will come. Uh, Many years ago, Danielle and I, uh, we went to a Twins game. We went to Target Field to watch the Minnesota Twins play. And we were having trouble finding parking And so we found this place where you could park and you had to pay the parking meter. And we put in about enough time for two hours uh, because we didn't think we'd stay for the entire game. So we're at Target Field and we start having a good time and we're thinking maybe we're just going to stick around. We knew the meter had run out and was expiring, uh, but we thought, you know, we think we saw another car that it had expired. I don't think anyone really takes that seriously around here. I think we're going to be okay. And so we stayed until the end of the game. And then we walked back to our car and we turned the corner. And there underneath our windshield wiper was a pink slip of paper saying that we owed the city X amount of dollars. And so we were, you know, pretty upset by that. Danielle called up the city and, uh, you know, she she, she said, are you really going to charge us this fine? They said, yes. Um, Did you not see the signs? They said, we'll charge you a fine if you don't pay your meter. We said, no, we saw the signs, but we, we didn't think you guys treated that seriously. And the woman on the other side, you know, working for the city said, oh, oh, you didn't know we treated that seriously. I get it. In that case, you know, don't worry about the ticket. No, she didn't say that. No, she said pay up. 
I tell you that story because here we were thinking, you know, we don't need to take this thing seriously. The city doesn't really care, but they did. And in the same way, we find ourselves becoming ambivalent about Jesus' second return, what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. But we need to understand that when Jesus speaks, we really do need to listen. In fact, he goes on in chapter 24, he says this, he says, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. And his point here is people are going to be going about their daily business. Life is going to be going on as normal. Uh, there's going to be people at work. Uh, there's going to be kids in school, maybe people at ball games. But that day is going to come and Jesus will return and he will gather his people to himself. And when Jesus speaks, we need to listen. I, I was doing some research on just the prophecies of the Bible and the predictions the Bible has made that have been fulfilled uh, over the years. And there's actually some pretty incredible prophecies that have been fulfilled in the year 750 B.C., so over 700 years before Jesus was even born, a man by the name of Micah, we have his book, Micah, in our Bible, 750 B.C., he predicts that the Messiah will be born in the town of Bethlehem. Then in the year 520 B.C., so 500 years before Christ is born, a man by the name of Zechariah, he predicts that this Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Not 29, not 31, 30. That's a very specific number, and we're told that Jesus was betrayed by Judas exactly for that, 30 pieces of silver. In fact, there are eight specific prophecies that regard Jesus as the Messiah from the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus. And scientist and mathematician Peter, Peter Stoner, he crunched those numbers just for these eight predictions, said, what are the chances that eight specific predictions would be made about one person and would be true? He did the math, and he found out it's one in a hundred quadrillion. One in a hundred quadrillion. That's actually the number. That is the chances of just those eight predictions being true about one person. He said that you could take quarters and stack them two feet high all across the state of Texas. You could mark one of those quarters with a red dot. Then you could take someone and you could drop them off in the state of Texas blindfolded and let them randomly pick the first quarter they come to. He said that person picking that quarter, that's the chances of all these prophecies being true. Those are just eight prophecies. There's over 300 prophecies that the Bible makes in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. Jesus himself said something that people thought he was out of his mind for saying he told the people in Jerusalem that their temple would one day be destroyed. Said that. They thought Jesus was out of his mind. That'd be like me standing before you and saying there's going to come a day where we're going to be invaded by a foreign nation and they're going to tear down this church building. You'd think that's a little far-fetched. That's a little out there. Jesus made that claim. The Bible was written. You could read his words for yourself. But 40 years after Jesus made that claim, 
Rome came into Jerusalem and did exactly what Jesus said, destroyed their temple. My point is, friends, that when Jesus speaks, we really should listen. And Jesus says that one day he will return. The question that often comes up, though, is the timing. Like, when? People want to know, when will Jesus return? The reality is we don't know. Jesus made that crystal clear. Again, in chapter 24, Jesus says this. He says, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. It is the prerogative of the Father to know when Jesus will return. People have wanted to make these predictions over the years, but Jesus is crystal clear. Nobody can know when that day will come. In fact, I would bet anyone in here $1,000 that Ronald Wyland's prediction that Jesus is going to return on June 9th of this year, I will bet any of you $1,000 it's not going to happen. Okay? If that day comes and goes and I win, you owe me $1,000. If that day comes and the end comes with it, well, good luck. Okay? Um, I was kind of hoping some of you would take me up on that. Jesus makes it very clear, nobody is going to know um, when Jesus is going to come back with 100% certainty. I guess, hypothetically, someone could guess and maybe be right, okay? Because after all, a broken clock is right twice a day, okay? But, but the, no one can know, according to Jesus, with 100% certainty when he's going to return. However, are there some signs that Jesus tells us about so we can know what time period he might return in? Yes. He tells us about some signs. In fact, we already heard about some. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. Jesus talks about violence. We heard about the 50 Muslims slaughtered in their mosque a week ago. He talks about persecution of believers. I just read over 120 Christians have been slaughtered in Nigeria over the last month. Jesus says that these things would happen in the end times. But listen to this and see if this doesn't hit home right here in the U.S. In 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul tells us what those days will look like when Jesus will return. He says, but understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Some translations say only love themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does this one not hit home? It sounds like our culture, doesn't it? When you look at the signs that Jesus says will mark the coming, I'm telling you, friends, we are in the end times. It is possible that Jesus could return today. He could certainly return in our lifetime. And so the question is, what, what is that going to look like exactly? Because we need to be prepared for that. What will that day look like when Jesus returns? Probably the best uh, scripture on this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. And there's really two distinctive markers that I want us to see this morning concerning his second coming. The first is that it's going to be surprising. When Jesus returns, it will be 
surprising. Let's just jump into the text. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 15. He says, By the word of the Lord, we declare to you that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. That expression, fallen asleep there, is referring to believers who have passed away, who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. After that, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You might want to underline that word caught up. That's where we get the word rapture from. Some of you are familiar with the rapture. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But the Latin word for caught up is rapture. Verse 17, after that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then listen to what Paul says. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's funny, when I was a new believer, I would read stuff like this and go, how is this encouraging? You know, this idea of dead people, you know, coming alive and then rising up in the air. And then we're told we who are still on earth, who are believers, we're going to rise up in the air to be with God. I don't know about you. I don't like heights. (laughs) It's going to require a lot of faith for me. Like, Jesus, can I grab my parachute first? Like, I don't know about this. But as I've grown in my faith, I've come to realize these actually are very encouraging words. This is encouraging, and it's encouraging primarily for two reasons. One, did you see that? We're going to be with the Lord forever on that day. Um, When Danielle and I were dating, we were at this one-year school, and eventually our time came to an end, and we moved away from one another. And she moved back up here to Minnesota. I was working out at Washington State. Um, and the only way we could really communicate at that time was by telephone. And so we would call each other up and we would talk on the phone, hear how each other was doing. But I got to tell you, it was frustrating. Because I wanted to see her and I wanted to be near her. And it just wasn't possible at the time. The best we had was a telephone conversation. But eventually I decided I was going to move to Minnesota so I could be closer to Danielle. And come to school up here. So I moved. And I got to be with her. And I got to see her. And we could sit across a table from one another, drink coffee, and talk. And we could hold hands. Long-distance relationships are hard, right? They're frustrating. Right now, we're, we're in somewhat of a long-distance relationship with Jesus. You know, we pray and we, we listen for his voice. But it's absolutely normal if sometimes you find that being frustrating. Wishing you could be with Jesus and hear, what would you tell me, Jesus, right now to do in this moment? Right now, it's like we're having that telephone conversation, but we're told that when he returns, it won't be a telephone conversation any longer. We will be in his presence, and we will see him face to face. But actually, the second reason this is encouraging, and it's Paul's main point, we'll see our loved ones again. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ were told that we are going to see them again at that time. And I know some of you might say, well, you know, I thought my grandmother who went to heaven, I thought she was already with Jesus. Well, some believers, they teach something that's called soul sleep. And soul sleep is the idea that when you die, 
you're asleep, and when Jesus returns, that's when you wake up, and it doesn't seem like any time has passed, and it's on that day that you actually go to be with Jesus. That's called soul sleep, and some believers believe that and teach that. I don't personally believe that. I don't believe in soul sleep. And my reason for that is, do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was being crucified between the two thieves? One of the thieves said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This thief had put his faith in Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said? And this is very important for us. Jesus tells us, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Doesn't say tomorrow. He doesn't say when I return. He says today, you will be with me in paradise. But why would Jesus say today if we weren't in heaven until his return? And so I have brothers and sisters who believe that, and I have respectful conversation with them uh, over that. But I personally don't believe in soul sleep. It's maybe possible, but I don't think it's probable based on the text. The Bible seems to teach that when we die, spiritually, we go to be with Jesus in heaven. And then when he returns, what's unique about that day is our spirit is actually restored to a physical resurrected body. So we don't live eternity as spiritual beings. We, we live in eternity as physical, resurrected beings. When Jesus came out of the grave, he didn't come out as a spirit. He came out as a physical body. At the second coming, we will be returned to what the Bible calls a glorified body. We will spend eternity that way. The second question, though, that comes up when we talk about Jesus' return is something called the secret rapture. This was made popular by the Left Behind series, and it's the idea that when Jesus returns, the first time he comes back, um, their uh, believers are sort of just going to disappear. And um, those who are left on earth are going to kind of just find their clothing scattered about. Uh, I remember my kids were playing behind our house. We had a blow-up pool, and they were swimming. And uh, I had this guy who was going to look at our yard and do some pest control uh, we walked behind the house, and I didn't know that Danielle had gotten the kids dressed and taken them inside, but she dressed them right there in the backyard, leaving their swimming suits and their towels and their sunglasses and all like that. So I walk behind the house with the pest guy, and I say, hey, looks like the rapture happened. <laughs> he had no idea what I was talking about, okay? <laughs> he thought that was something from Jurassic Park. The Raptors. Okay, I'll, I'll let you. Sorry about that one. <laughs> but that's this idea that, that believers disappear and that all that's left behind um, are their clothing. I, I don't believe in the secret rapture. I have a hard time with it. And, and my reason for that is when you read the text, it, it just said there's going to be a loud trumpet call. I mean, there's going to be an archangel involved in this. Uh, he's coming back with the command of God. It seems to me like everybody is going to be aware of that moment of Christ's return and what's happening. It doesn't seem very secretive to me. Now, could I be wrong? No. Um, uh, no, I could be. But my challenge to you would be go, go, go study this for yourself. 
go read up on this for yourself and, and see what do, you, what do you think? I'd want to know what do you think? And then as brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's just have cordial conversation with one another about it. Here's what we do all agree when, as believers. We agree that Jesus will return and, and that when that day happens, we are going to be with Jesus and we will see our loved ones again. And friends, it's going to be a surprise when it happens. The second distinctive, though, that we read in this text is that it will either be the best or worst day of your life. It will either be the best or the worst day of your life. If you're a believer, it will be the best day of your life because you will be with Christ. But the Apostle Paul goes on to say this in chapter 5, verse 3. He says, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them and there will be no escape. Just recently, I heard a story about these four college kids. Um, They were supposed to take a chemistry test, but they wanted to take a road trip instead. So they took the road trip, and then they conspired with one another um, to ask their professor if they could retake the test. And what they said was, Professor, we got a flat tire. That's why we couldn't make it to class to take the test. Can we please retake the test? It was the flat tire that caused us to miss class. So the professor says, sure, fine, come on in. And the students come in, and um, what the professor does is he breaks up the students into four individual rooms. So he puts the first student in his own room, and then the second student in his own room, and he does the same with the third and the fourth student. And he gives the students the same test. It has two questions on it. The first is a basic chemistry question. They all knew the answer. They're writing it out. They're going, we got it made. (laughs) This is easy. No problem. And then they get to the second question. And the second question was simply this. Which tire was flat? (laughs) Busted. I tell you that story because it's going to be a lot like that. When Jesus returns, we're going to think we have it made. People are going to be saying peace and safety. Isn't that what we say in this country? And the economy is going to be doing okay. The sun's going to be shining. It's going to seem like we have no major worries to concern ourselves with when it comes to the things of God. And yet Jesus says on that day, the end will come and there will be no escape. I know we don't like to talk about the judgment and God's justice. We want to talk about his love and Don't get me wrong, I totally understand that. But the reality is, if there is no judgment, why did Jesus need to come and die on a cross? Why did Jesus need to make that sacrifice if, if there's no judgment? Because the whole point of the cross was Jesus taking our judgment in our place. The whole point of the cross is Jesus taking our sin into his body, And hanging on that cross where he absorbs the judgment and justice of God in himself, in your place, so that you could be set free. So that you could be let off the hook. That's the whole purpose of the cross. In fact, friends, I would tell you, unless we understand that God is a God of justice and judgment, we won't be able to understand and appreciate his love. Because that's why he sent Jesus. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son to take our place, to absorb that judgment in our place so that all who believe in him and believe he did that for us 
will not perish, but will have eternal life. Some of us might wonder, you know, why hasn't Christ come back? It has been 2,000 years after all. Did you know the Bible gives us the answer for that? It's very explicit. In 2 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter, he says this. He says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? It's not because God's being slow. It's because of you. He's waiting for some of you to put your faith in this Jesus. He's waiting for you to make Jesus the Lord of your life and to invite him into your life and to have that personal relationship with him. He's not being slow, friends. He's being gracious with us. I was thinking this week, I'm so glad Jesus didn't come back 10 years ago. If he'd come back for 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I think about my brothers and sisters who have given their life to Jesus in that time. 20 years ago, I was hooked on drugs. 20 years ago, I was angry with God. I wanted nothing to do with the church. If Jesus had come back then, there would have been no escape for me. The reason God hasn't come back is because he's a God of love and he doesn't want any of us to perish. But he wants us to turn from our unbelief and to put our belief in him. And I'd be remiss if this morning I didn't give some of you an opportunity to receive that free gift, to let Jesus take your punishment in your place. It's free. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get it all together. You simply have to believe. And Jesus coming back, that's not the end. We get actually a picture of what the end's going to look like in Revelation 21. We read this, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, this is Jesus. He says, look, I am making everything new. No more tears. No more pain. No more death. No more depression. 